0: Heavy Cardboard, Episode 29, 18XX. Coming to you from the home of RailCon, Denver, Colorado. Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium heavy strategy board games, war games, and finally, Woo. 18XX and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts. I'm Edward. I'm Tony. Edward, tell the folks how to get in contact with
1: us, please.
0: All right. First off, on Twitter, at Heavy Cardboard, we're super active. We love interacting with you guys. Hit us up. Facebook, Heavy Cardboard. Our website is heavycardboard.com. You can always email us. We love uh, getting emails from you guys as well. Contact at heavycardboard.com. Head over to our YouTube page, Heavy Cardboard Vids. And last but not least... Take a moment and rate us and especially review us over on iTunes. Uh, We've had a good amount of reviews left for us since the last episode. Run through everybody. Animal G, RD Mills 60, Sonic Warhol, JEH, one of the revised 789, and a couple of (laughs) international reviews. Naked Meeple in the Great White North, eh? And... From the opposite end of the spectrum, down under, Rock Tapper. Nice. Thanks, y'all, for the kind reviews over on iTunes. Keep them coming. And once we get 10 more worldwide, we'll have a giveaway for everyone who's left us a review. We figured that would be the most fair way to go about doing this. One thing to note, if you are international and you leave us a review on iTunes, let us know you did so we can give you guys credit and make sure you're in on the... uh on the giveaway.
1: Their interface for looking at those things kind of
0: is um, yeah, suboptimal. Yeah, terrible for that. You have to go country by country.
1: Yeah. Alright, so let's uh, remind everybody about our fantastic sponsor, Game Surplus. Woohoo! Check out their website, www.gamesurplus.com. Velma and Amos are terrific, and they have an amazing inventory, a lot of imported games, hard to find stuff, and if you can't find something, just shoot them an email, and they will
0: go out of their way to try and hunt it down if it's at at all possible. Uh
1: very, very, very happy to have them as sponsors for the show. Thanks, guys. So Jen it's been it's been uh it's been three weeks since we did our last episode. So. Yeah,
0: it feels like a
1: while, but at the same time, as much prep work as went into this
0: episode, it, it feels like it hasn't been that long, I'll be honest. This is I spent more time doing this than I did the last two episodes, I feel like. Uh yeah. a lot of work went yes, into indeed, this indeed, indeed. Um so I guess Gen Con happened, eh? Um, the, no. the only thing I really missed by not going is is meeting folks that we've gotten to quote-unquote sure, yeah. know on Twitter. Uh, and obviously networking for the show would have been good. Otherwise, there are really not too many in- games that really interested me. Nope. Um, obviously there was Grand uh, Ha, but fans of the show know we reviewed this way right. back in October in right. episode
1: 10. So outside of that, I think not la- had a ton. Last episode I mentioned a few things I was... Interested in for various reasons, but none because of their weight or anything like right, that. Right, right, so. right. So one thing that did come out of that though
0: yeah. is Fantasy Flight uh, announced Roombound 3.0, which I know surprises a lot of people. But I, I, I was, I was uh, the last few weeks on Twitter, I was like, hey, Fantasy Flight, how about you guys? Uh, how about 3.0? This is the 10 year anniversary, et cetera, et cetera, and didn't really expect it to happen, and and. They are, so I'm excited about that. Martin Wallace, it's like Martin Wallace does Ameritrash, so I'm willing to give it a try. I haven't played it, have no experience with 2.0, although I see I'm pretty active on the BGG auctions, and all of a sudden, there are a whole flood of uh, Roombound 2.0s up for sale <laughs> yeah.
1: nowadays, which I, I thought was pretty funny. Well, good luck to you all with that. Not not the least bit interested. I figured. (laughs) um,
0: So it's something that Amanda and I will play, or, uh, you know, uh, I know Skippin has a set, and guys like Matt and everything would be willing to give it a try. Um, Bring goo. Sure, sure. So speaking of games that I haven't tried that I want to, uh, I made a new geek list, uh, which is a list of release games that I've not played ever and want or need to play. I went through it. And uh, I'll. We'll make sure well, to put it cool. in the in the show notes if people are interested in checking it out, and I'm gonna update it whenever I get games played on it and I've already gotten two of them played that were on the list of the roughly eighty that are on
1: there. so what were those two? Well,, you're gonna cover it, I'm sure yeah, yeah. I will okay I will. okay so
0: a- anything else going on with you? Um mister, just... I haven't worked in two months.
1: It no seems... no, no, I did have a four day weekend because my parents are in town, so the recording of this episode Monday night also means I have to go back to work tomorrow. Oh, woe is you. Woe is me. And um, really about the only thing outside of uh, the the hobby and, and things like that in general and, and family and stuff is it's football season, baby. Bronco camp open. Saints camp open.
0: You mean cowboy camp has
1: opened. I suppose. Go boys. <laughs> you betcha. As Brian already took a swing at somebody. Well, so good, hey, hey, good but, luck with that.
0: Tempers are going to flare in, in training camp. It's always going to happen. It's hot. Guys are, you know. It happens. You got a bunch of alpha males. It's gonna happen. Yeah. And college football season's right around the corner, three four weeks away. Can't wait for that.
1: I have no idea what to expect from my Oregon Ducks because oh. we're replacing our quarterback. So we'll see. It's kind of a, a bittersweet time of year for me because when Bronco camp opens, that means oh, summer's gonna be ending soon and winter's gonna be coming. But then again, hockey will be coming. So, <laughs> but in between those, you have fall. Which in is fall awesome here. in Colorado right. yeah. is about
0: as close to heaven on earth. Is wait we don't unless you play. Wait if you're listening to this, you Fall's do play heavy here. games. No, they <laughs> they play heavy games. So no, truly it, no. It, it, it's awesome here, uh, fantastic weather. Uh, just couldn't be more excited. Plus, to be honest with you, I'm over the heat.
1: <laughs> I really am. <laughs> <laughs> Although this has not been a brutal summer.
0: No, but it's still hot enough. Yeah. Right on. So with a few weeks in between episodes, I'm sure that there are games that you've acquired. There are.
1: Um, Not very many, though. Yeah, same here. They're just a small handful. Um, When I came into your abode this evening, I was uh, greeted with something I wasn't aware I was acquiring, but Europe and Golf, the block game from GMT. Thanks, dude. You're welcome. It's very cool. Yeah. The Winsomes have arrived, of course. For both of us, correct, right. yep. 57, the, Southern Rails, and Trans-Siberian.
0: And the Age of Steam map, uh, New England, which is right, the right, uh, right.
1: two-player map using the Age of Steam Austria right. rules. Uh, key market I tweeted about that when it arrived that which that I out. am really
0: excited to play um it was pretty cool the, the uh the designer actually uh that's one of the games that's on my geek list to
1: yeah to I play. saw that that the Dave Dave designer brain answered one of Yeah your, it came
0: in there yeah. and it's like hey yeah it's it's a bit of a niche inside of a niche type thing and yeah. and maybe not the most streamlined of games or whatever but uh I'm super stoked to play it I'm glad you got a copy me too what about you sir well, on top of the uh, the winsome games, uh, there there's one game that I've acquired, and there's one game that I've essentially acquired. I guess I could say.
1: Uh, Wait a minute.
0: Yeah. Okay, go ahead. All right.
1: I might. Uh, do I have to call threshold? <laughs> go on. Go on. So the first one, um,
0: other than the winsome games, like I mentioned, was a uh, a reimplantation re implementation easy for me to say mm. of the 2003 queen games game industria and this is industry mm-hmm. so it's supposed to be a pretty cool auction game with just horrid graphic design choices but it was seven dollars prime so that's cool you know what the hell it's worth the risk that's you it know? man um, and now the, the, the one that you're going to you're gonna say I haven't acquired yet because it hasn't crossed the threshold into the house, but I did want to mention it at well, least.
1: Go ahead, go ahead. But make this the segue into
0: anticipated. There you go. All right. Uh, it's called The Grizzled. It's a reprint of the original uh, Les Poilus. It's a interesting co-op, which I know you and I aren't big on co-ops, but it's about surviving in the trenches during World War One. Well, that's the theme. Right. And I'm not <laughs> sure if it's a great game or if it's just kind of interesting social commentary. Uh, but it's something that piqued my interest sure. a, a while back. I heard about it, and it was 20 bucks. and some uh, some friends of ours that we met originally back at uh, BGGCon mm-hmm. last year were there, and I was like, I saw them on Twitter. I was like, hey, Tanya, Dave, can you guys pick me up a copy? Yep. And they're like, Absolutely. Uh, the artwork was drawn by one of the cartoonists who was uh, who was unfortunately murdered in the uh, Charlie Hebdo mm-hmm. uh, shooting earlier this year. Uh, yeah, it's just an interesting, uh, interesting item, I, yeah. I, game, you know, whatever. But I'm I'm curious to check it out. Yeah, it, sure. It, it's supposed to be here later this week, so I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. So hunting, anticipating, on the shopping list currently. What you got? Well,
1: uh, trombone I just um, I had to order some paper and and lamination and crap from Amazon so uh-huh. through trombone in the shopping cart. Okay, so cool. That'll, that'll be here soon. That's
0: a little. I mean, I it, it's a small little game. Like it's it's, yeah, it's going online. It's like bucks. twenty bucks, yeah. right? Yeah.
1: Two player card game okay.
0: about trains. Rock on! Yeah, seems fitting. Seems fitting.
1: <laughs> and um, there's some 18XX titles, but those will be discussed okay. as, as we progress. What, sir, are you hunting and anticipating? Well, with the, with this new geek list that I made, it really
0: made me sit down and think, what am I really excited to to get after, right, to go play? And there's a number of them that I listed here, and I don't want to spend too much time on it. But first and foremost, Argent the Consortium. I It keeps getting buzz. It keeps getting people saying, look, you need to try this, so, you know... Reached out the Level 99 games. Yep. I think they're going to hook us up with a copy. So, yay. 80. And and Justin, our buddy uh, Justin Schaefer, also said, hey, I got a copy. I can bring it over and right. maybe be like a third chair uh, when yep. you guys review it. That'd be so, fantastic. Yeah, so that was cool. Um, Asgard, a, a bit of a different riff on an action drafting game. And it's What's Your Game? And it's like $10. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ashes, Rise of the Phoenix born. Not normally in my wheelhouse here. It's a two player duck builder that has some amazing artwork. Uh, we're going to get this played actually this coming weekend. Um, our buddy Matt, and I think there's one other guy that is bringing a copy. But anyway, we're going to have a couple copies here. Cool. Um, don't have to try it if you don't want to. Uh, Amanda and I probably I'll, will. I'll do something else, yeah. Uh, okay, all right. Uh, DR Congo is going to be here soon, so I'm looking forward to, yeah, to me get too, that actually. played. One that we've mentioned previously, but we haven't done anything about. And this is uh, Vlado Shavado's version of a Catan-type game. Uh, Greenland or, or Granoland? Greenland, right. right. Um Looking forward to trying that. Uh, and two last big ones that I'm excited. Tesla versus Edison. I originally passed yeah. on it. No, i got to be honest. I want to try it. I do, too. I reached out to Artana, so yep. we'll see how that goes. And last but certainly not least, Imperios Millenarios. Yeah. It's a beautiful Civ game. Uh, The designer is Argentinian, and it's nearly impossible to get a hold of. The good news is it's getting a reprint here in the next month or two. And stay tuned to uh, our Twitter feed and such, because we're probably going to help get it into Game Surplus store. Mm -hmm. So that'll be how you guys go about getting it. I'm, I'm super, super Excited about that
1: Civ title. Right on. Well, with the with the three weeks off, we've been playing a lot of games. Oh, a whole lot, actually. Yeah. Um, a lot of these we've played together. Let me. Uh, I'll go through a list here. Yep. Uh, I I I've played Key Market only once with the wife to learn the game, and uh, it was pretty cool. Lots of uh, interesting things there, particularly around the guilds and whatever combination of them. It happens to be in a particular game, so cool. Like I said, to... I, I'm super jonesing to play that. I uh, well, maybe this weekend. I the wife said, "Will you teach me some 18XX?" Which, like, it could have knocked, knocked you over oh. with a feather. Oh. <laughs> so I I pulled out 1800, just so, a two player so, game. So
0: I, I do wonder how many people listening their significant other, male or female. How much it would blow their mind if their significant other said that, those exact words to them. This is like the Soviet
1: saying, teach me some capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so she dug that. Let's see. At our winsome day, right? We, which we had a couple weekends ago, we all, bunches of us played nothing but winsomes. We did Continental Divide, Trans-Siberian Railroad, Colorado Midland, Dutch Intercity, Southern Rails, and Northern Pacific and Kansas Pacific. And some were better than others. Yes. Uh, I'll be honest,
0: I, I know that uh, there, are, there are some folks in the guild that that are big fans of games like Dutch Inner City or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It wasn't my favorite, but the two new ones that we played from this year, Southern Rails and, and Trans-Siberian. Uh,
1: Trans-Siberian, really, really cool yeah, games. Yeah, those were cool. But... Those were very cool. I'm, I was a big fan of Kansas Pacific. Too. I was as well. Let's see. We uh, we broke out a, the Stauffer dynasty the other night, and we played eighteen Arden a couple weekends ago, and we played eighteen eighty just this past Saturday. Yep, that was really cool. It's set in China. Uh, let, my other ones on my list were just twenty three and No Thanks with the kids and the and parents and stuff like that. So, cool. Rock yeah, on. Did yeah. they enjoy it, the parents? Yeah, oh, man. The cool. No Thanks is easy and it's um, you know slightly devious, so it was cool. Rock on. Did, uh, anything on the list you played that that I, I didn't call out here? There are Only two. Uh, one of the
0: games that's on, that was on my to-play list was, and I don't know if it's Aton or Aton. A-T-O-N. It's yeah. a little two-player... Egyptian thing. Abstract Egyptian thing game. Pretty cool. cool. It's, it's going to... It plays super fast, and there's depth there, and there's kind of... I know that you know that I know that you know type
1: play you know? that goes
0: on in that. So I'm, I'm excited mm. to, to get more of that to the table. Like, type of thing to where you'll play three, four games in a row. Okay. Uh, so that was enjoyable. And then uh, Mark Johnson from the Board Games to Go podcast, uh, he hollered at me last weekend. It's like, hey, I'm flying up on Tuesday for work. Um, I haven't played Maria. I know you have. You want to get a game going. I was like, do it. So he flew in on Tuesday, drove straight here. And him, Amanda, and me, I taught them how to play. And we played uh, a game of Maria, and they both loved it. And I think it's awesome that Amanda really, really dug it as right well. On. Right so on. that was a lot of fun. But other than that, nothing else that you you uh, mentioned. We, But that's still a lot of gaming. Right on. Good stuff.
1: In this episode, we're going to change things up just a little bit in terms of what we do when we do it. Normally, we do two trailers and a feature presentation. In tonight's episode, we're going to do the feature presentation and talk about 18xx games, and then at the end, we're going to do two trailers where Edward and I are both going to talk about an 18xx game. Now, the point of our feature presentation of XX on 18xx games today is not to instruct on 18xx, not to counsel-wise... We do not have the experience to do wise counsel. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not that far into this part yet. We're not ivory tower dwellers anyway, and really never wish to be an ivory tower dweller at all. So instead, our focus for tonight's show is going to be to evangelize on the idea of playing 18xx games. To state why, state why we're fans, and try to reduce any intimidation factor out there and encourage people to try to play an 18xx game yeah hopefully
0: this is uh you guys get a lot out of it um and we'll have some fun doing this
1: as we go we're gonna address a bunch of the ask the elephant questions as well so here we go Start off with what are 18XX games? Awesome. I think a terrific way to start would be asking you, Edward, to give a one-minute elevator pitch to someone describing 18XX gaming.
0: All right. 18XX refers to a family of usually train-themed, heavy economic, usually luckless games where players invest in fractional ownership in companies where the majority shareholder of each company operates the company by laying track and building routes and investing in new technology, a.k.a. the latest and greatest trains. When the game ends, the player with the greatest net worth is the winner, net worth being calculated as cash on hand as well as the value of his stock portfolio. These are usually centered around historical building of railways around the world in the 19th century, hence the 18xx designation.
1: Nice. So how about you? For me, the one minute pitch would be they are railroad themed games where players build corporations that build networks of rails that connect cities and conduct abstract train operations to earn revenue. That revenue is sometimes retained by corporations in order to buy progressively better trains, think technology, but it's mostly paid out to shareholders in the form of dividends because the players are taking on the roles of investors in those various corporations acting as corporate presidents when they're the majority shareholder and directing the actions thereof. And the goal of the game? To be the richest player in terms of cash and investments.
0: So I I think yours was maybe less clinical
1: than mine. (laughs) Well, I'm trying to get them to play. All right. so let's go a little deeper into what these games are. Sir, take it away.
0: Well, the first game... 1829 was designed by Francis Tresham in 1974, i.e. the year before I was born. I was 10. (laughs) They're generally thought of as two different branches within the 18xx family, which, while both fundamentally similar, have completely different character and feel to them. First off, there's the 1829 branch, or the engineer branch. Mm Mm-hmm. Usually the focus of players is buying the stock or the right stocks at the right time and running effective companies. These tend to focus more on the route building and less on the start stock market aspects of the game. While I won't go so far as to say that they're kinder, gentler and less aggressive than the other branch, the games that fit in this branch tend to be less in your face, but that said, they still can be quite cutthroat. These are more or less portfolio management games. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then there's the 1830 branch or the financier branch. Here there's less emphasis on running good companies and route building and more on manipulating the stock market and using those manipulations to gain an advantage in the stocks that you own or plan to own. These feel much more aggressive and bad things like bankruptcy tend to happen much more often. They're market management games. Nowadays, though, there are games that kind of blur the lines between the two branches, and the group you play with is going to make a huge impact on the feel of the game of whichever branch you're playing. A game from the 1829 branch can feel extremely in-your-face and aggressive, whereas a game from the 1830 side can seem quite tame. It all depends on the players and their actions. One last thing that I wanted to bring up is there are non-train-themed 18xx games. Games like 2038, which is set in space, Mm -hmm. 1830UR, or games like Poseidon, uh, set in ancient times. And there are other games that take some aspects of an 18xx game. Uh, and just throw away the whole rest of it. A game like a Rolling Stock, for instance. But for clarity's sake, today's discussion is going to focus on the train-themed games that most people will
1: think of when they think 18xx. Alright, let's get into some specifics of general 18xx gameplay. Let's! So most
0: 18xx games share similarities, but there are enough differences from one another to give players vastly different experiences. There are over 100 different games in the 18xx family, and each one adds or tweaks some amount of things so that the game drives focus on the specific areas that the designers trying to highlight. However, there are some general features that are shared by most in the series. Right. And when I say most, everyones you're going to be able to pick this apart and say, oh, but the, this one doesn't or this yeah. one. We're not focused on that. These are just generalities. Right. There are train companies that exist and in which players acquire shares. Yes. Once there are enough shares bought by the players, a company floats. Floated companies may now begin to operate. Until that point, the company does not operate. The majority shareholder is the president of the company, and he or she makes all the decisions for that company. But the actions of the
1: company affect all the shareholders. And companies are floated. During stock rounds where players will buy and sell shares of stock, uh, open new corporations, maybe other players will cross-invest and help float those companies, maybe not. There is a map in which companies may build tracks between cities
0: so that the trains they will own can run. Track, and this is important, track is not owned by anyone or any company. It's open for anyone that can reach that track. And that creates this interesting synergy in a lot of these games. Companies buy trains in order to run routes which generate income for the company. The president, again the majority shareholder of each company, yeah. after it operates and it's earned revenue, decides whether to pay, pay out said revenue to the shareholders or withhold it, keeping it in the company's coffers so that it can use that money to buy new trains, build track build
1: stations in strategic
0: locations, etc.
1: And the the actions that you just described take place in an operating round and games usually have one to three operating rounds in between the aforementioned stock rounds. The decision on
0: whether or not to pay out to shareholders or not will usually impact the share value of a company's stock. If a company pays its shareholders, usually this will increase the share value, making a share of that company's stock worth more. Whereas if it withheld paying dividends to the shareholders, keeping in mind that the president's the largest of these, so if he's not paying out the shareholders, Mm -hmm. he's not putting money in his pocket either, it may cause the share price to decrease, making shares worth a little bit less. There are ever-increasing valuable trains available for companies to buy, which allow for longer and longer routes to be run and more and more revenue to be generated for the owning company.
1: Yes, and the trains, as they run longer and longer routes, I think of that as increasing technology of engines, of locomotives. Yeah, it makes total sense. Totally. And as the as trains are purchased, older, more obsolete trains become rather useless. Right. Which leads us into the next part. As better and better trains become available
0: and get bought by companies in the game, train obsolescence begins and this is one of the biggest key mechanics in 18xx games Mm -hmm. as technology advances and technology in this discussion refers to newer trains older trains become obsolete and cease to operate this is what's meant when it said that trains have rusted yes as an example of why this is such a key component to the game let me explain the level of trains first Usually, the first trains available are what's called two trains. Mm -hmm. They have a number two, and they can run between one city and then two cities. So, in between those two. They can make two stops. Right. For revenue. These allow a company to run between the two cities. And as all the two trains get bought by various companies, then three trains become available. After that, four trains, so on and so forth. So, if the company I'm the president of says... Let's say I have that company has three two trains, and the one that Tony's the president of only has one two train. My company obviously is going to be out earning Tony because he's got more trains. It can it can generate more revenue. It would then behoove him to buy up more trains because as soon as the first four train is bought, this immediately usually causes <laughs> all two trains in the game to rust. And no longer be able to run. So I went from those three two trains and to having no trains. Now I can't make any money. Assuming I didn't buy any of the three trains of course.
1: And this is called the train rush. And this is an aspect of some of the games that I really really appreciate. And the ability to buy a train and in so doing cause financial harm to my competitors. Love it.
0: <laughs>
1: so with all that in mind. The usual script
0: of a typical 18xx game goes something like this. All right. There's a stock round in which players buy shares in companies. After all players pass, the stock round ends. Immediately following that stock round, an operational round begins where any, any and all of the floated companies operate in stock value order, usually highest to lowest. Companies then, in this order, build track or lay track, they may place one of their available stations, they run their trains and generate revenue, decide to pay holders, shareholders or not, withhold mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. adjust their share value, if applicable, and finally, they can buy a train or trains, plural, at the end of their turn. After that, the next company begins its operations. This continues until each company is operated, and then, depending on where they are in the game... As Tony mentioned, there's one to three operation rounds,
1: usually, mm-hmm. in between games, each stock round. Yeah, some games are fixed at two. You know, it's, it's just different from every game. So you either go into another
0: operation round, or you go back into a stock round. Yeah. This cycle continues until the end of the game. Now, the game can end a couple different ways. Usually, there is a set amount of money in the bank. That's dictated either by number of players or just a finite amount. $12,000, whatever it might be. Whenever the bank runs out of money, the game is about to end. You'll usually complete a set of operating rounds Mm -hmm. and then uh, the game ends. Or in some cases, if a player goes bankrupt, the game
1: ends immediately. Sometimes if a player's stock hits a certain price, the game will end as well. Just variations from game to game.
0: And lastly, there or I shouldn't say lastly, but there are other games where there's a set time that after a certain train is bought, for mm-hmm, instance, in mm-hmm. 1880 that we just played, that triggers a yeah. set amount of ops, rounds, left, and then the game ends. Players count up the amount of cash on hand. Money and companies have no value. And the value of their of the player's stocks and whomever has the highest amount Personal ends. cash and Easy their game. investments. Yeah. Yeah. So now, this doesn't even touch on the vast amount uh, of different companies that may or may not be present in the different iterations of 18xx games. Most of them, most of these games will have regular companies, usually called majors. Mm -hmm. However, there are games that incorporate some or many or just a few of different types of companies. Private companies, minor companies, the majors, as I mentioned national railroads and regional railroads some games even have different types of trains and those trains can sometimes only run on certain types of track in the end there's huge variability within the family of games that keeps it fresh and exciting and there are so many differences between many of the games that fall under the 18xx umbrella that just because somebody doesn't like a certain title
1: absolutely does not mean that they won't find one or many more that they do enjoy right Well, we have a lot more to say about 18xx games and why we like them, how we got into them, et cetera. But what we want to do right now is spend a few minutes on possible negatives for people that are considering playing 18xx games. Think of them as barriers to
0: entry or or, or preconceived notions that people have and why they might be hesitant to get into them. Let's start with complexity and opacity. Well, first off, there's huge amounts of decision points. There's... Just the whole game is a decision point. I mean, there there's multiple ones in between all of these. Yes. There's considerable butterfly effect where most of the decisions made by each player affect the game state in a meaningful way.
1: So I don't know that there are many trivial decisions to be made over the course of a game. Yeah. I, I think the outcome of those decisions is not always readily known. And sometimes the desired goal that you're chasing may require multiple decisions where each one is a part of the formula that'll solve it the way you want to, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes decisions are made just like in anticipation of what your player, your player friends might do as well. So uh, how about mathematics, sir? All right. So
0: I got the pros and cons of this is there's a lot of math in this game, but... By math, I say it's simple addition, multiplication, and division. I mean, it's very simple, basic. It's hippie math. Hippie math?
1: That's what I took in school.
0: Okay, gotcha. (laughs) Um, So, for instance. In high school. Every time a company lays track, upgrades tiles, places a station, and potentially blocks routes, or when trains get bought or become obsolete, income may change, sometimes drastically. So what may have been X amount of revenue last time a company operated very well may need to be completely recalculated again this time when it operates. Mm-hmm. So again, lots of adding, multiplying, then dividing based on the number of shares. But it's simple math. And let's face it, everybody has smartphones. so or, That's right.
1: You know, so they have calculators. We use our calculators. We use um, different charts to keep track of last revenues to simplify the the calculations we keep track on paper. And there's
0: one thing that I, that Amanda actually wanted me to point out. She she's she's a smart woman, okay? But math, let's face it, not her strong suit, okay? God bless her. That said, she has no problem with it. And I'm not, I'm not trying to insinuate that my wife is not smart, just she's not good at math and she has no problem with it. So hopefully people realize that it's not that mathy
1: in that respect it's not complex math and you can just stay on top of the changing situation in the game that'll speed things up as well absolutely how about the length of the game because these games can run several hours
0: right Uh, a short 18xx game is going to be at least two to three hours in time frame and that's usually only when there's experienced players and it's fresh in your head etc etc some 18xx games can be five to eight hours some as long as 15 hours on the extreme end um, inexperienced players are going to add to the play time as well
1: inexperienced players you said? yes yes absolutely the games can run several hours particularly as, as people are learning the games but there's things you can do to shorten the game I mentioned um, paying attention to the changing values of cities so that you can speed up the calculation of your routes things like using poker chips or spreadsheets or yeah, software no, no uh, one
0: should ever use paper money in an 18xx uh, it, it will
1: literally add hours to the game so, uh, number four on my list here is Michael Menzel and Dennis Lohausen are not the artists involved. Clemens Franz is, though, now. He you, is. You can't say that he's In not. Several titles. <laughs> All right, so four games have been... Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh,
0: bottom line, function almost always will outweigh form.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but as players play more 18xx games, you begin to appreciate the more say, clinical cleanliness of many of the games. Um, until then, you, can, you know, they might be thought of as plain or, or just downright ugly. Garish. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but when you're sitting staring at a board for, you know, 8, 10 hours, you begin to
1: appreciate the clarity of the simple graphic design. By modern Eurogamer standards, the graphic design and component quality of these games is, is cheap. And I think that might turn off some people. And that also, just because they're all using these yellow tiles, green tiles, etc., to the uninitiated, it might look like these guys that come over here every Saturday are playing the same game every Saturday. You know,
0: so. But we're not necessarily. Right. But at the same time, you know, when you want to add, some, you know, just make it prettier. You know, when you do that, it really clutters up the game and it makes it harder yeah. to see the important information. You'll get over it. There are a few exceptions. The one that first jumps out to mind is 180e. I think it's it does an excellent job of marrying form and function, cool, uh, making a pretty game, but also making it very clear, uh, you know, to so that you can see it at a glance. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we take a look at Mayfair's publication of 1830. It's an example of form over function and what not to do. It's just just too much decoration on there and it's hard to really focus on the things that you need to focus so yeah little give and
1: take there well let's see 18xx games involve some direct competitive play
0: yeah yeah you could say that um watching someone tank the value of a company that you're heavily invested in can really piss you off (laughs) worse yet it's just business Worse yet, if you were careless and you over-invested in someone else's company, you can watch them loot that company of all its assets, all its trains, all its treasury, everything, mm-hmm. and then dump it on you if you weren't uh, if you weren't paying attention to who had the priority deal, which designates the turn order of the next stock round and would allow them to act before you. That that uh, yep. e- even experienced it, you can you can get a little. A little fired up,
1: make your blood boil. I mean, part of the of many of these games is ruining your friend's investments. But it is just business.
0: But it's doing And that, I love it. It's <laughs> doing that to help your own, you know, your own status, your own game state. Well, naturally, yeah. Now, conversely, some folks might not want to quote-unquote be mean to another player by, you know, placing a station down in a city and all of a sudden maybe... Maybe by doing that, you just cut off uh, a company's ability to run some lucrative route, right? Or maybe they don't want to have to sell stock in another player's company, therefore trashing the stock price, even though they need mm-hmm. to to be able to help their own cause. So, like Amanda, that that was her biggest barrier is just getting over the you know. I don't... I'm not doing it to be mean. Right, yeah. I'm just... But, sorry. <laughs> she tanks your stock, you know? Um, another thing on that is it's possible to be completely out of the competition, yet you have hours to go in the game due, yes. to, due to poor play or inexperience or a number of different things. No luck equals no catch-up mechanic. That's right. You sleep in the bed you make. Uh, so, I, I, I heard... Uh, there was a user on BGG that said something to the effect of "There's no player elimination, but uh, players can become insignificant." <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that and that and that that's a turnoff
1: for some people. Sure. Legitimately, sure. So I, I think all of these things add up to for some people, eighteen XX games have a certain level of intimidation. Uh, the point of this show is all about
0: knocking trying to down eliminate those barriers and yeah. get
1: out there and experience these games. Well, I mean, popular mythology says that
0: 18xx games, you know, there's this big aura of being crazy hard and have a terrible learning curve. Um, I, just don't, I just don't think that's the case.
1: It's not that terrible.
0: Right. Now, some 18xxers can sometimes be unwelcoming to new players and be abrasive oh. or, or downright socially
1: inept elitist maybe yeah possibly Uh, you know i'm smarter than you maybe but if that's
0: the case find different people to play with (laughs) absolutely
1: absolutely, guys um
0: so yeah there are a whole lot of potential reasons why folks don't want to venture into this niche inside of a niche within our hobby but hopefully we can start knocking down some of those uh some of
1: those walls as we continue give them a try
0: all right so why don't we tell folks how you and i you Mm. know came about playing 18xx to begin with so you first
1: Well, I was definitely hesitant at first, and finally was um, asked to participate in an 18xx game. Coerced? Maybe. (laughs) It could have been alcohol. No, there was no alcohol involved. Um, And it was a bad experience. It was was really Really? a bad experience. Yeah. First of all, I I was intimidated, hence the um, hesitation, just by the, the content of the game, Thinking, you know, you, you, ha- oh, I, I can't even play, enjoy, or compete in these games because I'm not an expert in these games. And so that, that was my, my holdback. So I got into this game. I don't even remember what the game was. It's uh, two, two and a half years now. Wrong teacher, several hours of boredom. It was pretty much, here's your anchor, go swim, tone. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, terrible. Uh, it, it, it was horrid. And um, I, but that didn't, crush my interest in the games. Because as my taste began moving towards heavier games over the last few years, the mental stuff and the game length was really less of a concern for me. Okay. And the business economics involved in these games and the investing aspects of them just totally appealed to me, as you well know, sir. And I had the realization that expertise cannot be gained without playing the games. Yeah, you can't get good... Practice makes perfect, right? I, I don't have an ego that needs to win. I don't need to be the expert. What I do need is to have fun and have a challenge. I need to be able to play and occasionally teach competently. And that that realization made me go diving back into the games. You know, we played... Well, eight, that was when we started out because all this yes, happened before you and I knew that each was, other, right? Right, that was before. And then you and I started getting back into these games in 1846, 1830, and 18R Den were the three games that really... We played them in in succession and uh, a couple of times each and stuff, and it was like, wow, man, I'm I'm yeah. I, as I've talked in the last few episodes about this this burgeoning addiction in me, so uh, that's how I got back into how I got scared, scared off, and back into and <laughs> loving 18 right, and sex games. On. There's more about the loving to come, of course. Uh, what about you? Um, I wasn't really
0: hesitant. Uh... I guess the reason is because some local friends we'd been gaming with since we began uh, in the hobby, they offered to teach me and Amanda 18EU. And I'll be honest, I remember literally nothing about this game. Hmm. But um, I I just didn't know enough, because this is six months after I'd started in the hobby. I didn't know enough. I didn't really know what 18xx games were, so I didn't know enough to be intimidated. You know? Okay. Um, However, (laughs) once we got started... I was like, whoa, what did I just bite off? You know, because, I mean, I'm new to the hobby. I'm like, this is just blowing my mind. One thing that helped, though, um, is the guys we played with, and the guys I'm talking about are Chad, uh, the reunion group, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, and Chuck. They, they tend to play considerably nicer than most, and maybe, maybe that helped not really scaring me and Amanda off. I guess. Okay, okay. Um, like I said, it's it's now been three years, and I don't remember much of that, if anything, about the yeah. game. But I remember, huh? Okay, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. Um, and then after that, just kind of went into a few more games and just really got into it. And then I started reading up on how many games there were out there and which ones kind of sounded interesting. And then I realized, huh? I'm not gonna say we've been playing them wrong, but maybe we've been playing them a little too passive. And then hmm. about that time, uh, the we kind of we kind of went our different ways with the game groups, mm-hmm. and then our game group with with Paul, Chad, and and you, and and now it's now and the it's, other Tony, right? And now it's out for blood. And I feel like this is well, yeah, in a, in a nice way, but yeah, it's it's yeah. competitive, but it's. It's enjoyable. Um, as far as why was I interested in 18xx games to begin with? I mean, once I, I realized what they were and I, I started playing them, it kind of goes back to my main motivation for playing games. It's a competition of decision-making. And as I said earlier, the entire game is full of decision points. There, yeah. it, there, were, there were zero or near zero trivial decisions in an 18xx game. Mm-hmm. And games without luck, or at least mitigatable luck, appeal to me the most since I have, the mo- you know, I have more control over the outcome as opposed to, you know, chucking dice or whatever. <laughs> yeah. If I play like crap, well, it's my own damn fault. I kind of got outplayed, and I, I really appreciate that. And as I've gotten more and more into the hobby, I've learned that I really enjoy economic games. And this oh, yeah. is just a, a great example of, of those type of games. And the games, for the most part, that we, that I, ca- I guess you could say cut my teeth on, were 18EU, like I said, but I don't have any recollection of that, 1830, and one of my still favorites is 18Mexico.
1: So nice. Yeah.
0: All right, so we've discussed what some of the barriers to entry are mm-hmm. in 18xxs, and we discussed how you and I individually got into liking these games and getting into them to begin with. So now let's get into the meat of this. Why do we play them? Why, why should other people play them? So I, what about
1: the system appeals to you, Ma? Well, the biggest, the number one reason is variety. The basic, the general 18xx game is around a group of core mechanics. And that each title adds its own flair to those things. And the amount of variation around the same basic game system, is it, it's just phenomenal. Special rules, special trains, special companies, different capitalization of corporations, different map boards with different geographical features. I mean, I could go on, I can go on, I could go on. The wealth of life is like the wealth of life in the ocean. These games just have an incredible amount, amount of variation wrapped around that same system. So it's like... Okay, I know how to play an X-X game. I can play anything just about. I just need to know the... Yeah, you
0: know... You understand the core. Now we're just going to tweak that or we're going to add a little or subtract a little or mess with this or mess with that or whatever. Yeah, I totally get that. The genius of these designers. So for me, I've always been interested in trains. I mean, maybe not the trains themselves, but the idea of what the trains represent. Mm -hmm. Like, you could be out... And you can just see these long stretches of track going on as far as the eye can see. Or maybe just driving past the complexity of like a, a rail yard and how all these different tracks intersect and make a, a working system. I've always been interested in those and, cool. and, and, and train track layouts. Hell, as a kid and even now as an adult, I've always wanted to build railroad layouts. So it only kind of makes sense that even though these games are, you know, abstracted, like most games are, still I've been drawn to them. So that's that's kind of my baseline right there, alright? But when you factor in my background as a poker player and how intuition and math blend in the game, mm-hmm. it seems logical that a game system like this would be highly appealing to me, right? Sure. On that note, there's a correlation between poker and 18xx games. Like in poker, there's a clear advantage to dictating to your opponents as opposed to reacting to them dictating to you. Same thing in 18xx. Also, you need to better predict the actions of your opponents than they do in order to gain an advantage. Again, just like in poker. (laughs) So, now let's start getting into actually the game. Like, what do I enjoy about 18xx itself, right? I enjoy sitting down at the table and enjoying seeing this this empty map. Knowing that while the train companies in the game are pretty historically accurate and the geography is too, Often. we're about we're about to write our own story on how this place is built and the train lines, and it, it's it tells a story. The development of wherever we are, whether we're in Russia, whether we're in the Midwest and the US, Skanderhuvia. Uh, you know, wherever I think that's that's awesome. <laughs>
1: well, and you you mentioned the history um, uh, that you know some of the corporations are based on actual corporations and the and most of them actual business scenarios of of rail building how rails got built in X Y Z country inspired a lot of these uh, a lot of these games and you know I'm a history nut so as am I that stuff is uh, particularly awesome I think as well. Although I'm really not into trains. Really? No, man. They sit across the 112th and block my way to work sometimes.
0: <laughs> so so you didn't grow up as a kid just enjoying trains? Nah. like No? I was, okay.
1: I was too into war. Okay. All right. Fair <laughs> enough.
0: Um, so, all right. Uh, let's get into the meat here. Um, I love the fractional ownership of companies. Which encourages uh, shared incentives. Stockholding, baby. Yeah, only one of us can be president,
1: but we all share in the fruits of the company. That's right. I love games that involve investment, capital gains, cross-investment, all that stuff, man. It's awesome, awesome stuff. And there are, you know, along with that, in some of these titles, some titles don't really have a lot of this going on, but sometimes there's some corporate games, gamesmanship, or as I'll call them, financial mechanics, <laughs> that, that go along in the game. Like what? Like dumping corporations, as you alluded to earlier. Merging corporations, how corporations can assume other ones to improve their position, or rescue an investment, even. Uh, the issuance of more shares by companies. Some of these games, you start out having only five pieces of paper per company, and but you can expand to be having a ten pieces of paper per company. And that's very cool. And selling trains or buying trains back and forth between your corporations to manipulate various conditions in preparation for the train rush i i love those those gamesmanship type things in in many of the games i dig
0: having my own tableau in games in general Mm -hmm. you know and watching you know when you build up a company and and see it flourish or not As it it may be. Some Um, are not as the president, (laughs) well but but when you do and you do it with a purpose, as the president, you kinda you're kinda like, Yeah, look at me. You can invest in this company, you know it's a good investment. Look at this. I built this. You know? Yeah. But at the same on the flip side though, I also did kind of battling with myself when it comes to thinking of a company as mine, like this is my company, when it's not. And I have to remind myself that this company is simply a tool to help me win. That's all. That's all it is. I may have to hurt this wonderful company that I've built from the ground up. It's just business, as you like to say, right? That's all it is. Hey, no. if I can get you guys to invest in this, and you know, even though you guys may not know what I'm planning, I may plan on dumping it on you, but you know, the time you invest in it, it looks like a fantastic... Co- no, no, buy more shares, Tony.
1: Please, please. It's a wonderful company. <laughs> Nothing to see. Ignore the man behind the curtain. In that vein, the train rush, as I mentioned earlier, I love it. You know, it's like, mm, sorry, guys, I didn't mean to buy that five train. You know, it's just... I love that when I can cause something to happen to the other players. Create is, havoc. Is that eco trash? It's No, as I say, it's just business.
0: Yeah, it's um that mechanic while is universal I think between pretty much every every 18xx game that ob- obsolescence like I mentioned the anticipation of that obsolescence yeah. and the the even buying trains that you know won't help you but you have to buy them yeah. because if you don't you're screwed cuz right. I'm going to keep beating you you know incrementally you know, I'm just making a little bit more money than you are, but if this were to go on, in, you know, till infinity, you're going to lose the game. So you have to do something about it, and that's that. That buying of the trains and the obsoleting of older trains is just fantastic.
1: And uh, some games are, are more gentle than others. Some games, when trains become obsolete, they'll still operate one last time. One last time. Some games, when trains become obsolete, they'll still operate but they'll cost you money, like maintenance money, every round. So incentivizes you to get them out of there. Some games, when trains are obsolete, they're toast. Yeah, they... they they're gone they, immediately. They, right. Now, oh, crap. They're right. like Kaiser Sosa. Guess my stock price is going to go down.
0: Right. <laughs> because if you have no train, you can't operate. Right. If you can't operate, you can't make money. If you can't make money, you can't pay dividends. If you can't pay dividends, your stock price goes
1: down. And if I don't have any money in my company, then... The president got to buy him a train. Exactly. And that's some of that just juggling and, uh,
0: that you have to do in these games that's just so wonderfully, deliciously just demonic. Just so, so painful. A game like 1880, knowing when we sit down that it's going to take us six to eight hours to play, we know it's going to tell an awesome story. And, and that story is interesting to me. The hours fly by as I'm absorbed in the story mm-hmm. that the map is telling as it unfolds. For instance, we recently played 1880 mm-hmm. uh, this last Saturday for the first time. And we had a guy who's a part of a different train group play in our group. Right. He taught it. it. He taught it. And that was great. Um, and it was really cool to hear him say, Wow. This game is developing completely different than how it normally does right. because he's playing. He doesn't know how we play. He do, we don't know how he plays. And he said he'd never seen it play uh, play out the way it, it had, even though they'd played the game maybe a dozen times. Right. And that going back to that variability, not only variability between titles, but within the same title. That is awesome. It's not yeah.
1: scripted.
0: You know what no. I mean? It's not always going to play out the same way.
1: And I'm going to call that out as exploration. Because once you get the gist of the genre of games, man, you can lavish some time and effort just exploring the variation of these games from title to title and within a title. It, it's, it's just an amazing space, if you ask me. And that leads into the length of... As we talked before, you know, we don't, we don't care about length. But man, in this world of shorter games are great and I'd rather play eight one-hour games than one eight-hour, it feels great to play something for several hours, see that story develop, have meaningful decision after meaningful decision while you're waiting for the next meaningful decision and just building this whole economic engine and... oh
0: Yeah, and the cool thing, and our whole group goes by this that we're all trying to win only one of us can win winning is the goal however the more important thing is that trip the 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 you know the whole that's right the whole
1: you could tell someone to go to hell but you have to help them enjoy the trip right no <laughs> it,
0: it it's just i enjoy the like i guess the story that the game yeah. tells and it, it's just That kind of leads into that I'm thinking about situations well after I'm done playing the game. Not every game has that. In fact, Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. aren't a whole bunch Mm -hmm. that give me that, you know, to where here it is three days later. And I'm like, oh, dude, I know what I should have done. I could have done this. I could have tried that. Why didn't I sell
1: him that train? Right.
0: Or something like that. And I love that within our own group the post game discussion that we always have when we finish a game mm-hmm. we talk about things that we thought about why we did certain things and why we what we think you know cost us the game or where we could have made different decisions the post game talk is always interesting yeah. and and we have yet to play an 18xx game in which there wasn't one of those discussions and it's not like okay we're done we're going to sit and talk it just it naturally just
1: happens because
0: the game is so epic and interesting you know
1: one thing i like about the 18xx genre are some of the synergies that appear whether or not you are running two corporations yourself that have this synergistic effect that i'm talking about or it's you and another player but when you are talking about the games in general earlier how the Nobody owns track. Anybody can use track. So sometimes corporations are working together purposefully or not in this synergistic manner to build this network that both companies and even other companies that they may not expect to later in the game are going to benefit from. It's almost like a co-op that isn't a co-op.
0: I mean, it's, it's, I hate that word. I, I know, but it, but it is. I mean, if you and I All are right. both – hold on. If you and I are both invested in a company – It mutually benefits us. Obviously, it's probably going to benefit one of us more than the other. But nonetheless, it's going to be mutually beneficial if we cooperate, in a sense, in whether it's the way we lay track or maybe I have a company that you're invested in and you have a company that I'm invested in and you're on one side of the board and I'm on the other and maybe we kind of work together towards building. Obviously, I want it to help you, but I want it to help me more. I also love kind of the mixing of games within the game. Our buddy Chad said it pretty well, I think. He said the initial auction kind of you know for privates uh, in a lot of in a lot of games is kind of a game in, a, in and of itself. yeah. The stock dealing and capitalization is effectively a game. buying and selling what share at what time, for what reasons, incredibly challenging. Add to that the manipulation of the priority deal, and it's fantastic. The track laying and route building is a different game, but it's so impacted by the quote-unquote other games and impacts the other games so extensively. The train buying's another game in and of itself. (laughs) You could go on, but you get the idea. The real point is these individual games all connect and impact each other so well I don't know that there are so many other games that do this, and I, I, I think I think he's right.
1: Yeah, and I I think a lot of that is what gives two things to the game, and that is the depth, right? Because mechanically, the games aren't difficult. They're really not. I mean, all those interlocking layers that you just talked about. Anybody who plays any of the games that we
0: like to play can handle an eighteen XX. Let's 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 get that out of the way right there.
1: Mechanically, right. not a problem. Right. It's just a matter of Depth. I I think a lot of Euro games have what I call puzzle depth, which is not as deep of a depth. God, that sounds weird. This game does not have puzzle depth. Puzzle depth is... Superficial? Here's the game. Okay. In Euros, right? Here's the game. It's going to be five rounds. We're going to score here, there, this, that, the other thing. Here's your goal cards, blah, blah, blah. Whatever, right? There's a lot of, of Euro games that have that. And so you're... The depth is figuring out how to best address that puzzle and solve it for the highest score. Okay. This... That makes sense. ...is not giving you any of those clues, right? It says, hey, we're going to keep score at the end. Go. <laughs> Go. <laughs> here's the framework. Oh, like, by the way. Like, here are the rules. Like, here is what you... Every mistake you make is
0: going to cost you about $500. But, you know, that's some of the joy. I, enjoy, I love it. I enjoy... The headspace, man. Yeah, the, the, or the game space, as I like to put it. The, oh, yeah. I enjoy but, exploring it. And the, the the mistakes that I make, I'm okay with. That's You're not going to learn if you don't make right, mistakes, right, right, right. And so, I mean... Experience what, first, lesson later. Yeah, right. <laughs> I dig learning the tricks of the game and by tricks they're no, not like they're good. not tricks but i follow me on this a lot of the time you you try out different things these tricks a lot of times you're going to fail but having each fail teach you something for the next time you play i hope i know where you're going so some of the quote unquote tricks things like train juggling between companies you own yes manipulating turn order or how selling a valuable stock might be important because by selling it, it's going to drop its share value down below your company and you need to operate before that company Mm -hmm. or something that I just recently tried and was successful. This is where I want you to go. This was such a foreign idea to me, how to run a company down in the yellow or the Brown spaces Mm -hmm. of the stock market.
1: To explain to people what what those are. Well, in, in many games, the, the stock market track will have yellow and brown zones. And it's kind of like a stair-step
0: stock in market. Many kind of, of them. It's like right. a two-dimensional.
1: Right. And when a corporation's share prices in those zones, they... First of all, most games will have some sort of an ownership percentage cap. So, like, I can only own, say, 60% of a company
0: not all some some do right. away with that
1: right many games and many games have what's called certificate limits so i can only own let's say 14 shares of stock in all of the companies that are in the game depending on on, on the game right that that number's variable by by uh, a player lot. count. Right. And oh, exactly right. yeah yeah and so when when stocks are down in the yellow zones and brown zones you get to break those rules and so Now I can own more than 60% of this really crappy company. Now this really crappy company's shares don't count against my certificate limit. So
0: even though they're crappy shares, let's face it, if they're down there, they're not worth a ton. Right. But if you and I are only allowed 14 shares each, but I own, say, 8 shares of of a company – that don't count to my 14. That means right. I own 22 shares right. versus your 14.
1: You know who has two thumbs and is going to well, beat your brains in with that? The, Me. Right. The presumption of the strategy is that you own other shares that do have to respect their certificate limit of more valuable companies. And the the little nugget of shares that you own in this crappy company is going to be just enough to put you over the top.
0: Right. Yeah. And when I said that the uh, the trick of successfully running the company down there is there's there's a careful balance and I I, I did it once and yeah, I, I, did I want it to at, but at I can't at the very end of the game and I almost stumbled on it on accident. It's something I've been wanting to try is because you have to maintain the company in those zones, but if you if you pay out. Odds are your stock value is going to go up. If your stock value goes up, there's a chance it's going to leave that yellow or brown area in which now all of a sudden if you go back to a stock round, those certificates are all of a sudden going to count again. And I have 22 shares. I need to be down to 14. That's bad. So the the juggling act is making sure that when a stock round is about to happen – you make sure that company is in the yellow or brown. It's not easy and it's 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 taken me 3 years to try and figure it out, but it's it's and I, it hasn't worked but once, but man, it's awesome when when you're like, "Yes!" when it finally works. One last thing that I have here is realizing the importance of a simple but profound question, okay? Am I winning? It seems like such a dumb thing to ask yourself, right? Because there's no score track. There's no, you're not tracking VPs. But you can tell by the health of corporations. You can tell by the amount of uh, shares and certificates that each player has, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Generally. So th- if the answer is not you... Then you need to change the status quo. In my earlier example, where I had a more pro- I had more profitable trains than Tony, it's imperative of him to use the tools available to him, i.e., buy trains and rush the obsolescence of the current set of trains, so he can flip the script on me, basically throw the table up in the air. Mm-hmm. So to say, you know, uh, must must change that environment. Right. Even if you can't use the train or trains that you're buying, mm-hmm. I that is
1: such a it's weird for people...
0: Unintuitive thing. Right. Wait, I'm and going either- to buy these trains. I don't have enough track to even run them or these are right. going to immediately yeah. become obsolete. Right. Why would I want to do that? Well, if you don't, I'm lever. going to beat you over the head right. continuously. Right. So you have to change it even <laughs> though it might in the short term hurt you. And I think that is such a cool
1: concept. Mm-hmm. But and all from such a simple question of Am I winning? The, the the game environment is continually changing and often you have to do exactly what you said, change it because you must need it to change. Right. You yeah. can't leave it as a status quo. So, as you can tell we're we're big fans.
0: Are you, you is it coming through, you think?
1: Yes, I I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh but even so, there are, there are things about 18XX games that may not be our favorite things in the world and um I want to start with one that goes back to the the yellow and brown thing you called up. Because this is why I was glad that you um, mentioned that. Okay. Because like... I have no idea where you're going with this. I'm intrigued. Ownership limits and certificate limits? Oh,
0: yes, I, yes, I do.
1: <laughs> I, I, I like them. I understand why they're there. Sometimes maybe they're historical. But um, often I, I feel like they're just a, a break, a runaway leader break. And it seems to be this this communist thing in a capitalist game. You know, I, I guess... I, I mean, I, you, I heard you mention this on Saturday. It's a... it.
0: Communism and capitalism. No, they don't mix. Mm-hmm. But these aren't models of real life. They are games. Right. In the end, they are games. And to make them playable games and to keep them from being runaway leaders... I mean, in some games, if that wasn't in place... The game could end after the initial stock round, and okay, that was cool. Let's reset and start over. So I, no, on the one hand, I, I disagree with that statement. I understand what you're saying. I know but, what you're saying there too. But there, there has to be some kind of break, it, it, as you put it.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know that I, I agree with that because again, this communist thing in a capitalist game. Is is kinda weird sometimes.
0: I'm sure I, there will be people I don't that
1: bring this up in good. the guild to discuss yeah.
0: and tell you why you're so wrong.
1: I don't disagree with the rule. It just it just strikes me as like everything else is wide open capitalism. Oh, but don't you dare own more than fourteen. So anyway. All right. So there's not a
0: lot of things that I dislike about eighteen XX games. Um there are a couple. Mm-hmm. One of those things is late game tedium of figuring out routes, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, or if somebody's aping pretty hard over trying to squeeze out that last dollar or two. Right. um, It's just not that important. Mm -hmm. I mean, it may make a difference in one in you know fifty games or whatever, but just just let's ballpark it. There's no need to nickel and dime it. Tell you what, um, I'll
1: give you the 10. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, we're good.
0: Or one of the things that we do is when we know that the bank's going to break and we have, say, two more sets or another set of ORs, so we have two, two more runs, hey, a company's running for 40. We're going to say it's running for 80 and there. There's both its yeah, runs. Yeah. Move on to the next one. He's done. And one thing that I think we, we may have mentioned earlier is there are some programs for laptops or whatever uh that can help with Mm -hmm. the management of that for late game we have yet to use them but we very much are curious about whether or not it 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 would help us so we we just can't speak on it true so i got one more okay fire there are some titles that can get almost for lack of a better way to put it scripted uh where decision points become non-decisions let me, let me try and give an example of what I mean by this. I played in a game a year or two ago uh, where I was playing 1861, I think it was, uh, Russia. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys I was playing with, extremely nice guy and extremely experienced, was basically playing the game for me. Mm-hmm. He would tell me, oh, no, you want to lay track here. Oh, you don't want to go oh. that way. You want to do this. The fact, the nards. Well... I mean, yeah, that kind of sucked, don't get me wrong. But yeah. my bigger problem was the fact that a game could be so scripted that he knows exactly what the optimal move is every time. To me, that's a flaw with the game. That's a problem. Yeah. To where there's so little variability that it... it that just, So needless to say, and I, I might be getting the actual game wrong. I thought it was 1861, but whatever game that was, I just... there's over a hundred of these. I just won't play that one. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I'm sure that even whatever game that was, it won't be scripted in your first few plays. Sure.
0: I mean, I'm sure he's probably played the game a hundred times. Not not exaggerating. Um, And so, yeah, there's still exploration. If I were to play with, say, you, Paul, Chad, Amanda, we
1: don't know this game, so it'd be new to us. So I get what you're saying. And game design's game design, right? You know? people are making these games and some will be flawed
0: and some are better than others sure that's fair that's fair and i just figure i I, i'd at least put it out there you know but it's one of 100 200 games out there no problem there i haven't played enough
1: to see scripting at all so bring it on fair enough well let's talk about what 18xx games that you and i have played sir Why don't you begin? All
0: right. So I'll start off with the games that I've played multiple times. Some, you know, as many as seven or eight times. None more than that, though. So like we said, we're not that experienced. 1830, 1846, 18AL, 18 Arden. I'm going to skip the 18s. Mexico, Scandinavia, Steam over Holland, 1851, 61, 79, 80, EU, NY. And last but not least... I played the full game of
1: 180E with Mark Frazier the developer and that was awesome Right on uh, so for how me, about you yeah 1846 1830 18 Arden 79 al 1800 which is the two player I used to teach my wife right, right. not much there good teaching instrument okay 1880
0: okay cool
1: what so, games do you own um, all right so I'm gonna skip the
0: 18s and try and remember this there you go 17. 30, 46, 53, 56, 57, 60, 62 Eastern Counties, 70,
1: 79, AL, NY, and OE. You? 30, ought, ought, 1800. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 1881, which is a print and play, 1862 Eastern Counties. 1865 Sardinia is theoretically en route for both of us We hasn't hasn't crossed threshold there, didn't there, mention it. there's two copies uh, 1857.
0: <laughs> okay cool cool. What um, games
1: are on your radar to acquire sir? All right and why?
0: okay well let's start with 1844/54 and the reason I put them together right. is those are getting reprinted as uh, by by uh, yes them by O and O right. <laughs> and I enjoy their designs, I've, I've realized. The artwork is done by Clemens Franz, right. which, yay, I'm excited about that. And the cool thing is he got input from the 18xx community to help, because he's not used to, yeah, like, he doesn't want a, the edge of a mountain going off from this hex right, to right, another right. hex to make ambiguities. And lastly, 1854 is one of only two games that I know of that uses a hexagonal stock market. Yeah, that's cool. So that the stock values move in six directions as opposed to the possible or the normal four. And so that really appeals to me. So 44 slash
1: 54. And those two are on my list too. Okay. The, the, the little demon in my head is saying, get them, get them. <laughs> All right, uh, 1880,
0: China, which we just played on yeah. Saturday. But it is such a unique twist. Wow. On... The, the timing of the stock rounds, yeah. it's not a, a, a fixed time in between no. the operation rounds and the stock rounds.
1: The foreign investors, the... The communist, the phase. communist phase. The communist phase. They had a lot of uh, unique things in there. That was a lot of fun. It
0: took us about eight hours, but I, I do think that now that we've played it, I think we could probably get that time down to a manageable six hours. Mm-hmm. Thoroughly enjoyable, though.
1: Totally, man.
0: Um, the last one that I have uh, is 18 Dixie. Okay. It's a the newest eighteen XX that's out there. Uh, it's actually three games in one. It's a it's a three sided board. Check this out. On the main side, it's eighteen Dixie. It's uh I want to say it's Georgia and Mississippi and like the top the Panhandle of Florida. Okay. Okay. That's one game. The back half of one of the flaps okay. is eighteen Georgia. <laughs> the back flap of the other one is eighteen Mississippi. I also enjoy Mark Derrick's other games, or at least the ones I've experienced, so that makes sense, and he's the designer. And yes. there's 18 Arden, but
1: we're going to talk about that as well. Yeah, 18 Arden is uh, on my list, too. Really, okay. really, really fun game to play. Uh, one day, I, I will acquire a copy of 46. It's a top-tier teaching game. Which we're going to talk about here in a you little bet bit. You betcha, you betcha. You. Uh, 1858 is on the Iberian Peninsula, and I am like... Because of my Napoleonic interests. (laughs) I'm just Uh a big fan of the Iberian Peninsula. And there's like different track gauges that that go on in that game. Which is the... I want to say it's 60 or 62. One of those also has the different track gauges as well. I noticed uh, 1855 Namibia is a free print and play from O and O. 95, you mean? Or right? Did I say what? Did 55, yeah, yeah, yeah. 1895.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All the numbers start to run together after a while. And I'm sure this yeah. is this is awesome listening
1: for you guys, but hopefully well, you're getting something. Namibia out of it. is specifically designed for three. Oh, very cool. So and it's and it's free. It's print and play. I'm going to redo all the graphics, though. It's pretty terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Harzbon 1873. It's got you. There's some of the public companies are railroad companies, and some of them are mining companies. Like you have to run the mining company, and they need the trains. I've heard and it's an odd duck. It is. It is a very, very different game. I'm, I'm in the middle of reading the rules, but Bjorn Robinstein, who did Rolling Stock, is is one of the playtesters and um, developers on the game, and he wrote a very intriguing review of the game. And it's really pretty different type of game. So. Uh, I was I was gonna think about print and playing it because all the resources are there available for it and um boy there's a lot though or you could just order it it's hundred and twenty bucks gonna order it <laughs> <laughs> all right so what game th- those are what games you're yeah.
0: interested in buying this list might and I expect to be different what games do you most want
1: to play like? Sooner rather than later. Uh, well, some of the ones that I own, just because I have a mental thing about you have to. I have to. I can't keep not played games on my shelf. Sorry. That's you just bring them here and problem solved. And I don't mean to play, I mean right. <laughs> to, to store them here. Right. Um, 1817, because I heard it's a monster. Yeah,
0: it's it, and it, it's also on my list, and it's it's supposed to be one of the more brutal 1830 branch games. It has shorting of stocks and such, and I don't know if I'm going to like the game, but I'll be damned if I don't, I'm not jonesing to play it, let yeah. me tell you.
1: Uh, obviously, the, the, the ones I mentioned uh, that I'd like to have... 1860 Isle of Wight, and there's a lot of good uh, positive comments out there about that one. And it's tight board, tight's good, right? Uh, 1861 Paul Chad wants to play it. 1800e Edward wants to play it. Boy, do I! Like I said, I've played the the full game, but I really want to bust out a
0: short or you know a short scenario between you, me, and PC and Amanda, or maybe uh maybe a uh, medium scenario either either way. So for about me. You. I want to play more 1880 and 18 Arden. I'm really, really, really enjoying both of those. Right, right. 1854 for the same reasons I mentioned. 1817 already hit on and, and Obi, and that's it. Right on. I mean, obviously I want to play them all, but those are the yes. ones iced on the list.
1: So how might a person get started in 18xx gaming, sir? First thing on my mind is what value do you think there is in a, like an 18xx game, maybe say Poseidon, etc.? I guess there's value in it if the theme appeals to you, or you and you're just so turned off by the
0: Spartan art of the more traditional 18xx games. But in my opinion, Yoda
1: said it best. Do or do not. Do there is no not. try. Well, if you're wanting to learn to play 18xx games, it's probably for a reason that a like an 18xx game will not deliver for you. Where can someone buy 18XX games? Because this is somewhat shrouded in mystery to many, I'm sure. All
0: right. So first and foremost, Deep Thought Games is probably publishes the most of them. However, current wait times about two to four years. Yes, really, it's two to four years. Yes. Uh, the good news is you don't have to pay for them until your order comes up. But yeah, the good news here though is there are two companies. One of which is All Aboard Games that. This is one of the two companies that John Tamplin of uh, Deep Thought has allowed to make games for him, and they're available for immediate purchase. You're looking at under two weeks from order to delivery. Scott Peterson, who runs AAG, also is a fan of the show, so that's awesome. Next, Golden Spike Games. This is the other company that's allowed to make Deep Thought games, and we're going to talk about them when we talk 1846. You can also order direct from some publishers, like Marflow, Mm -hmm. O&O, etc. There's the 18xx Yahoo group. Much of the serious 18xxers only communicate there versus places like BGG. And on occasion, they'll be like, hey, I got some games for sale. The BGG or Board Game Geek Marketplace. Not many obscure titles are going to be found there, but it's still a viable place to buy some of the more common Mm -hmm. uh, copy or uh, titles. BGG users in general offering to buy or trade works. Yeah. You know, I've cold called folks to try and work out something when other avenues have failed. It's worth a shot. Obviously, there's eBay. Yeah. And last but not least, uh, Print and Play Productions. Andrew Tolson. Uh, he's gotten permission for a few titles, and his quality is not anywhere near Deep Thought Games as far as the the quality of the of the of the actual. Components. Components themselves. But it's better than most folks, print and play. Yeah. You and PC, you know, (laughs) accepted. So, let me ask you. Okay. uh, When teaching 18xx games to newcomers to the series, how much strategy should you provide and should
1: you babysit during the game? Well, I, I think that exploration and discovery are definitely best. It's not your typical Euro genre. I... Personally, I think, you know, teaching the basics. It's not They're not mechanically difficult games. And try to tell them about the things they'll really just have to learn the hard way. At least that's how it worked best for me. So, you know, getting companies plopped on you, the, the train rush, all those things we talked about, the little nuances of the games. And at, tell them to ask for help when they're puzzled. You know, I'm, I'm happy to help tell them what I'm thinking uh, that may be a bad thing you know, <laughs> for them because I'm not always thinking correctly, of course. But, um, I, you know, you don't want to overteach, I don't think. What you? What do you think about that? In my opinion, you let the
0: new players dictate this. If they make a mistake due to something they could have easily avoided, hey, that's on them. If it's due to something they could not have foreseen, that might be on the, on the teacher. Mm-hmm. Eric Brocious, uh, he's one of the biggest 18xx evangelists on BGG. He wrote some really excellent posts on this very thing. Uh, We'll link them in the show notes, but in case I forget, they're titled, quote, How to Teach 18xx, unquote. And the other one is, quote, Why Groups of New Players Often Struggle with 18xx, end quote. Both are must-reads, in my opinion, for new players. Here's an anecdote from Dave B., recently that I think aptly describes what I think is the right way to go about teaching. Quote, I think the highlight of the convention for me was the five-player game of 1846 on the Friday evening, in which the other players carefully reminded me that there were only four routes into Chicago, so there would be competition for those routes in a five-player game. They then proceeded to block me in with hostile track lays and tokens so effectively that I was unable to trace a route more than two hexes from the eastern edge of the map. <laughs> it seemed akin to showing a treat to a monkey and then locking him in a cage. That's mean. Do you guys have day jobs as exp- uh, experimental psychologists or something? Still, it made my calculating company income pretty easy. Eerie, 210. Again. <laughs> pretty awesome. So what games have a shorter playing time? Shorter being relative, Mm -hmm. Uh, a game like 46 has a playtime of about three to four hours with experienced players, but it still might take five or longer with, you know, a table full of newbies. Other than that, 46, AL, Georgia, 1851, and, and I'm sure there's others.
1: Yeah. Opinions vary. Yep. What are the best ways for someone to keep up with 18xx news and stay in touch with the community? You mean other than us? Other than us. Oh, Okay. Uh,
0: Probably the Yahoo group, followed by BGG. Um, So there's a Yahoo mailing list that's Mm -hmm. under Yahoo groups. It's 18xx. Go out, check it out. Um,
1: Warning, it is the internet. Yeah,
0: the the Yahoo group is going to have a lot more info than BGG, but man, that's a rough interface for 2015. Well,
1: the the uh, graphics are the same ones that are used in 18xx games <laughs> how does one find local 18xx groups and if none exist how would you recommend starting one honestly the best way that i can think of is just posting on bgg
0: post in the general 18xx forum and also there are the region. yahoo group right well obviously sure and there are regional forums on bgg so like I'm subscribed to the to Southwest, which Colorado is a part of. So, anytime someone posts in there, there might be stuff for New Mexico and Arizona. So, whatever, mm-hmm. I don't care. But it might be worth a try. Other than that, what about just trying to get existing folks, you know, in your current game group to give it a go? Give it a go. Have them listen to our show or or the Long Views podcast mm-hmm. on 18XX and board
1: games that did one. Yeah. Another resource is the Train Gamers Association, www.traingamers.com. They do the puffing ability tournaments around the country. So they have a lot of contacts in different areas of the country. They know people. And so visit their site. There's a contact me down there. And they can maybe link you up with some folks too. That Oh, that's I hadn't thought
0: of that. That's a good idea.
1: The 18xx family is very polarizing. We're getting into some other questions from the from the guild here. Many who play them, have turned them into lifestyle games in the way that one would with Chesco, Poker bridge, etc. I'm not going to mention Magic the Gathering. <laughs> um, yet, ASL. Yet, yet many serious gamers are really not willing to play them at all. So there, do, there does not seem to be too many in the middle. Why do you think this is?
0: Well, there's us, first off, right? I mean, I don't think it has to be one or the other. There's plenty of room for other medium and heavy games, war games and 18xx. As for why it happens maybe folks find it perfectly scratches the itch or itches that they have and
1: they don't need to look elsewhere i mean you like what you like right true i uh i think that you know buying these games and playing these games is definitely an investment of money and time for folks that's a good point you know maybe that it's hard to see some capital gain to use a 18xx (laughs) term there um and, you know, I, I, I somewhat blame uh, television, too. I, I think we have a culture of instantaneous gratification where a uh, few things are really delayed to us. And in this case, the, the joy of of the learning the 18xx systems is, is something that comes to you after repeated plays. And, like, we can tweet about a stomach cramp nowadays, right? And you can buy something online and have it tomorrow you can turn on a TV show and where some problem is demonstrated and perfectly solved to the benefit of all mankind in thirty to sixty minutes <laughs> it, it's just like, like I think eighteen xx games face a lot of tough competition and um, definitely though the patience is rewarded guys wow that was that was really
0: thoughtful um, Wow I feel like my answer was so shallow now uh, <laughs> no. Okay, here's the next one. It seems to me that there's been a real upsurge in popularity of 18xx games in the last few years. Do you agree? And if so, what
1: do you think's behind that? Well, based on my months of experience, <laughs> I, I feel that it it's always has been going to be a niche market for this type of game, you know? and. The designs and the production of them, you know, Edward was talking about Deep Thought Games with two years of delivery. These is very much a labor of love, not of profit, and I think that's that's somewhat of a barrier too. Just the the lack of availability and the cost of some of these things, but any surge in popularity is likely to be a big factor within such a small community, anyway. You know, but and certainly there's always going to be new converts to the genre. You know, growth and sales might be due to collectors or dedicated enthusiasts buying games, wanting to explore the wealth of the mechanics and the variants. And I, I'm collecting titles because I'm interested in those differences of each game and what those differences offer me as a player. You?
0: Well, keep in mind I've only been in a hobby as a whole for a few years now, but it definitely feels like in the last year to 18 months that it's, it's gotten bigger. As to why... I don't know, maybe with the board gaming boom, more and more folks are coming into the hobby, some of whom are, you know, being drawn to the awesomeness of of heavier games. And then once they hit those heavier games, they're like, oh, these 18xx, heavy, you know, economics.
1: You know, besides that, that's all I got, really. Let's see, a person wrote that, I almost exchanged a game I enjoy for 18AL, but waited to hear your 18xx episode. Now, I have to pay $75 for it. Did I make a mistake in not getting 18AL when I had the chance?
0: Uh, no, I, I don't think a mistake was made. Um, I'm out of the mind that everything happens for a reason. If you're patient, more copies will be available for the right price. Plus, if it's a game you
1: enjoy, why are you getting rid of it? Right. You know? I, I think it yeah. depends. It really? depends on the person's situation. If you're buying it to be a learning game, I think um, that's fine whether or not you bought it immediately or have to pay $75 for it in the scheme of things 75 bucks is an excellent price for an 18XX game. Uh but if it's if, but if you're already a veteran 18XXer then do not buy 18 als Yeah, That's, yeah, it's it's, it, it's a learning game. It, yeah, I, there's so many other ones I'd prefer to play.
0: All right, let's put a bow on this. So you want to you want to sum it up in a paragraph or six?
1: Or six? All right, my summary <laughs> get, get comfy, boys and girls. I've had some startling realizations, Edward, over the last few months. I really, really, really like train games, particularly the 18xx genre and the winsome titles. The route building, the stock ownership, the business aspects all grab me, and I'm finding that it's begun to squish some Euro gaming desires in me. I've looked at my shelves more than once and wondered, why don't I want to play that or that? Or that. It's like 18xx is becoming a drug addiction or an invasive species that's threatening to dominate what was once the natural flora and fauna of the land. But I do say threatens. I'm still a Eurogamer and still will be for now. If you crave depth in a game, folks, 18xx games are really just something to seriously consider experimenting with. The depth is more opaque than in other game genres. You just can't see the bottom. You just have to jump in and start swimming downwards, man. And 18xx games have something else besides depth. You know what they have? They, What's have that? they have current. The game moves you along through the phases, the technology and the revenues pick up pace, and you have to keep up. You have to keep up with the current. Driven by the players themselves, the game is moving towards its inevitable conclusion. And after a few hours, you're either going to be sipping scotch and smoking cigars in the corporate luxury car, or you're going to be loading the luggage of the economy class passengers on the next departure, baby. The combination of death and current has definitely captured me with 18XX. When you add in the amazing variance and the history in these games, I think you get a tough to beat set of factors that overcomes the math, the length, and the intimidation. Overcomes it so well that instead of feeling apprehensive, you begin to relish those factors. There's a little robber baron in all of us.
0: I wish you guys could have seen me on that. I had tears in my eyes laughing so hard at the extermination of the of the game collection. <laughs> the
1: domination
0: of the natural flora. Wow. That I anyway. I'm not reading mine now. I should have gone first. <laughs> Damn it. Wow, that was fantastic. So you like them?
1: Uh yeah, a little bit.
0: <laughs> wow, mine's going to seem so so trite. Now, um, alright, here we go. <clears throat> There are a lot of things about the system that we never touched on. Really, private companies, differences between 5-share and 10-share companies, just a ton of other things. But you know what? We didn't need to. Just go out there, make mistakes, and have fun. These are games to be enjoyed and not something to be scared of. Go out there, grab your friends, some refreshing beverages or six, and go have (laughs) some damn fun right on dude they are fun they are a blast and to think is some people think you know oh you know you can't make noise dude we there have been so many cuss words and so many laughs (laughs) and chuckles and just such awesome gaming experiences that yeah uh, just go out there and have fun that's 18xx guys right on
1: 1846 is one of my favorite 18xx games. Mine too. Yes. Tell us about it, man.
0: All right. So I'll take a few moments to talk about a game that I think is one of the better 18xx entry points. Yeah. That's 1846. So it was designed by Tom Lehman. Yes, the same guy who designed Race for the Galaxy, among many other games. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Originally published in 2005 by Deep Thought Games. It's set in the Midwest United States and designed by Tom to be new player friendly while still giving a challenge to even the most experienced 18xx gamer. I thought the best way to do this is I'd go over some of the reasons why 1846 is such a great quote unquote jumping off point in the 18xx world. Sounds good. So the game begins with a draft of private companies. Unlike a game like 1830, where players must bid on the private companies, knowing nothing of their actual value, here, players are dealt a small handful of private companies and said, here, take one. Pretty simple. Yeah, it's a draft. It's wonderful. Right? Companies are immediately floated after the president's share is bought. Again, in a game like 1830, a company must have 60% of its stock purchased. By players before it's floated and operates. Mm-hmm. This can cause a company to not float in the initial stock round. Don't know it. Because <laughs> players can overpay in the auction for the private companies. Whoops. So here, though, they're, they buy the president's share and they're off. Also, there are no par prices for stocks. So that means that the current value of the stock is the price to buy a share. Many other games have two prices the par price, the uh, or a price of a share when there are still stocks available in the original IPO mm-hmm. in the current value price or shares what shares cost in the open market not here just just one price across the board pretty simple yep also there are only one size of city there's no pips there's no whistle stops there are no little doinks whatever you want to call them This removes a possible point of confusion on whether those count as stops or can they be added onto a route at the end or the beginning or do they not count? Can you skip them? Whatever. Nope, none of that. Just, Just cities. 1846 falls squarely into the 1829 or engineer branch of the 18xx family. This means that there are rarely any bankruptcies and there are hardly any Company dumps onto unsuspecting players. Sure, sure. Now, I'm not saying it will never happen, but it's pretty rare. Yeah. Getting a company dumped on you or going bankrupt can be discouraging to new players. So there's <laughs> not much of that in this game. Unlike, say, I don't know, 1830. Now, there's no hard, fast rule also on how to win. Players can win by starting their company with a high, par- or high value. Only buy a few number, a small number of shares, or starting them with a low value and buying more shares. There's just no wrong way to play the game. More experienced players can't just give you that... <sighs> when you didn't follow what players normally should do in X situation. Kind of like I've heard of players doing in a game of Puerto Rico. Right on. It just shouldn't happen, period. True. But in 1846... It almost can't due to the variety of the way the game develops. It's a great game across the entire, you know, three to five player range. Mm -hmm. And it plays quickly, relatively speaking. We're talking with experienced players, three, four hours with less experienced players. Still probably going to run in the five, six hour range. But that gets quicker with experience. So you may be asking yourself, self, how do I get a copy? And rock on if you are. There are two ways. Order direct through Deep Thought Games. But that may take the better part of three to four years to get your order fulfilled. As crazy as that is, it's a fact. The other way is to order from Golden Spike Games, and you'll have a copy in less than two weeks. Thereabouts. The downsides of 1846. Well, like many 18xx titles, it ain't cheap. It's $121 to order through Golden Spike Games. The positive here, though, is even though there's a sizable upfront cost, the game comes ready to play, save for money, just use poker chips anyway, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and if you play, and you give it a a legit shake, and you find it's not for you, you can turn around and usually sell it easily for a minimal loss. Personally, even though I have a number of 18xx games under my belt, I thoroughly enjoy eighteen forty six and heartily recommend it, both for beginners and experienced players. You bet. And thanks to Eric Brocious for a great summary on 1846. All right, Tony. Yes, sir. Why don't you tell the folks about a, a little bit of a more
1: in-depth 18xx game that we've been playing recently? 18 Arden. Yes, sir. Yes, 18 Arden is a 2010 design of David Hecht, you can get it through Deep Thought Game or, or Golden Spike, various sources. It's a three-to-five player game, and uh, it's, it's, it's a bit longer of a game, but it's not, uh, it's not terribly long as 18 XXers go. It's going to depend on your experience level as well as the, the player count in the game. What's happening in the game is that you are railroading in northern France and Belgium, and there's a, an initial auction to start 15 minor companies, or 16 if there's four players, These miners have specific geographical starting cities and are real operating companies. They can buy trains. They can have up to two trains. They can place stations. They pay dividends. They can lay track, everything. They're they're really a a full-fledged, albeit minor, one-share company. Their main value is in starting one of the major companies. Each miner can only start a, a couple of specific majors. So it's important to your goals to buy companies in that initial auction that you may want to merge into companies you start or into companies that other people start even to acquire a share of that company in the process, maybe even after you've stripped the assets from the company. <laughs> <laughs> and But the timing is important on this whole merger thing, and uh, the reason for that is the new major company, when a major company is forming, they can't deny the minor company from merging into it at that point in time. And taking a share of, right. of stock, you get a share. But later on, if I want to merge my company into yours, Edward, I'd no, I'm all set. Thanks. Well, or I better have something to offer, like cash or trains or something. Right, because if you stripped company. it, if you stripped
0: it bare, I'll just say no.
1: So it's it's really really uh, pretty cool. It's it's a a fun map too. the uh, The map offers some north and south bonuses as well as east and west bonuses. They have ports. And they have forts, and they have mines, and lots of different variation in the map. It's really, really a fun map to play. I think that initial auction—that's a lot of fun too. It, it, some people maybe they say it's a little tedious to go. Oh no, it. not at all. There, not at there all.
0: are. There's 15 minor companies in. Or the, 16 if there's a little there. Well, more, the 16 is just a. Uh, it's not a, actually. It just pays you money. That's it. Yeah. So the uh, the 15 companies trying to decide the synergy between your companies. Do I want to try and get all of them in a certain area? Right. Because these are going to be laying the the beginning of the infrastructure for whatever company you decide to merge these little guys into the big guy. And you have to have done a good job of laying track for these big guys yes. when they come in.
1: And stations.
0: Absolutely. And they get to exchange the, the, uh,
1: the major for the stations of the miner when they incorporate, when they merge. Fantastic. Not only do I dig that those miner companies are operating and doing all those things that, that that build up to what you were just talking about, but that winning bid in the auction re- determines the par price and the starting treasury and it's really, really a cool twist on the, on the game. It does have a bit of
0: a simplified uh, stock market yes. because
1: it's that 1D or very linear.
0: And... It kind of leans toward the 1829 side of things, but it feels more like the timing of when you choose to do things, like merge and grow, are the key aspects of the game, along with those early track plays. And I feel like it's almost like a—it doesn't quite fit into a certain category, whether it's the 1829 side or the 1830 side, because it's all about timing. That timing is critical, and I feel more so in this game. Than in yes, just about any other game that you and I have at least played up to this point.
1: I totally agree. If the game had more shenanigans, I'd, I'd appreciate it. But I'm fine with the, the absence of the crazy shenanigans in this game too. Just oh, you're talking in the stock market, right? Or, or just in general? Okay, yeah. you know shenanigans with company. Yeah, I guess that is you know really stock market centric, but um, with the stock price manipulations and things, because this this game is really about running good companies and the timing of how you do all those things. The one of the one of the things I think is very cool is five share companies becoming 10 share companies. So at the beginning, companies start off with five shares, so each one being a 20% ownership stake. At some point in the game, you're probably going to want to effectively split do a stock grow, split or grow you know, up into and, it and have 10 percent shares. And the the impact of that is 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 really cool in two ways. Number one, you just chopped your dividends in half. But number two, you just doubled your capital gains. So it's a bit of give now and take later. And it's, it's really, really cool. But it also unlocks the 4D, the diesel trains, too. Only 10 share companies can have those trains and the number of ten share companies drives the certificate limit in the game too which
0: is the only game that i've experienced up Same. to this point in which that share certificate limit can change based on things other than the the number of players uh, yeah. it, it's fluid throughout the game and i really i think that's innovative i think that's a cool aspect
1: one other thing that's cool about the miners, just go back to that for a second, is you know, they, they don't have to merge. We've seen very successful miner companies, but it's, it's generally going to be a, a better uh, financial advantage to you to uh, merge those into a company. But one of the things that the merging does is allow you to go over the 60% ownership mark, too. And that's, that's kind of neat as well.
0: It, I, in our most recent game, I had 100% of one of my companies. First game I've
1: encountered that. Yeah. That was pretty cool. I think 18R is just one of my absolute favorite 18XX games. I Agreed. know you feel the way, same yep. way. And it's a fantastic step up for those that want to grow their challenge level in 18XX. Highly recommended. That's 18R All right, before we sign off of this episode, let's remind everybody about Game Surplus, our fantastic sponsor. We love what they do for heavy cardboard. Visit Game Surplus, www.gamesurplus.com. Check out Velma and Amos' fantastic inventory of games.
0: And make sure you guys follow us on Twitter. Reason being, on every Friday, we give you guys a heads up on what's going to be available, what new uh, imports, Mm -hmm. what new restocks Mm -hmm. they've gotten. That way you know ahead of the general populace. And how would one follow us on Twitter? At Heavy Cardboard. Facebook, Heavy Cardboard. Email us, contact at heavycardboard.com. YouTube, Heavy Cardboard Vids, and last but not least, HeavyCardboard.com. And don't forget, we get 10 more reviews on iTunes. Everybody who, who's left us a review is entered in
1: a contest. We don't know what we're giving away yet, but we'll mention it next episode. Sounds good. I had a lot of fun talking about 18xx games tonight. I, I hope that we've caused couple folks, maybe, to give it a try where they might have been apprehensive?
0: Yeah, a lot of people that I've been interacting with on Twitter have said that, yeah, you know, they're on the verge of wanting to try it, this yeah. and that, but they want to wait and hear the hear the episode, so hopefully this helped, man. I mean, if nothing else, if, if you got nothing out of this, our enthusiasm, I hope, shows oh, through yeah. that hopefully. we're just... They're just fun. I mean, lots of decisions, just... Lots of fun, so go out, have fun.